This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, welcome you to Porch Talk. We are down in Greensboro, Alabama again. I have Aaron Head with me, and I have a lot to talk about. I want to hear about uh, your story and what you have going on here. And so let's start right there is, what are you doing in Greensboro? What's up? So the main thing we're focused on in Greensboro right now is, well, I'm a, I'm a textile artist, which means I work with different kinds of fabrics and different kinds of like textile media. My main focus is natural dyes. So I do a lot of, we grow stuff that we make, make dyes out of and also forage for dyes. And the main focus right now is run a, a gallery in a studio space in downtown Greensboro. And in that studio space, we have a gallery space with rotating exhibitions from regional artists and na- nationwide artists, and also a shop where we sell things made by local artists, and um, also pop-ups there too, so local people can, can do pop-up ventures there as well. So our main focus right there is right now is on that gallery space and kind of bringing some, some life to downtown Greensboro right now. Yeah, man, and uh, just from my first trip down here to have Tim on and then he walked me down uh, there I mean my mind was just blown yeah I, uh, think, that, had, I think people think there's there's mostly mostly small towns are these like sleepy small towns but there's really a lot going on once you get into them and you kind of explore these small towns there's a lot going on in a lot of them more than you think there's going to be uh-huh I mean right after he took me in there to meet you and Sarah and I mean like you said uh, uh and she'll be next uh when we capture the Greensboro family but uh, I like that space that y'all have set up for there. And, yeah, so and the food's just good. Yeah, it's, it's in an old um, Western Auto store, so an old auto parts store, and so you walk into this kind of big, big shop windows and big high ceilings, and it's been sort of made into this. You almost feel like you're walking into like a big kind of boutique in a big city. It sort of feels like you're in a different place than you really are. So our focus is really trying to trying to bring something that may not may may not exist in a small town otherwise. So you walk in, and it's just really. Um, just cool stuff everywhere. We have we have baked goods from like you were saying Sarah who makes these Egyptian baked goods. Sometimes we have um, handmade soaps, handmade candles, handmade artwork, um, uh, all kinds of different things that you can walk into and stumble upon in, in this space. Oh man! With that being said, so uh, my buddy's company, I work for him. Two Monson Brothers. We do uh, beard oils, bombs, soaps, yeah. candles, uh, and. I don't know how much of the boutique side you get into, but he could build a display if if that would be. So. He's out of Columbus. If yeah, that would be definitely. something you're interested in. Yeah, I think the one of the big goals with the shop aspect is um, a lot of times people in the south kind of get overlooked in the in like the bigger markets for sales for That's things true. like that. And so one of the goals with having the shop is to uh, have a place where 
people who are like really, really amazing makers and artists in the South can have a, can have like a retail space and a market space where they wouldn't normally have that kind of space in the South. So trying to make a creative economy happen in, in places where there wouldn't normally be necessarily. Yeah, man. Uh, totally. I mean, just some of the ideas that I've been having with the show and like how to try to take it to a next level is uh, I want to keep my finger on the pulse of like, say like what you and uh, all your friends here are doing is just building a a cultural mecca yeah uh, put putting uh putting these artists musicians and these artists and all these different types of people yeah uh, who are doing really great things but they're also local yeah i think there's there's a big there's a big sort of misconception that you have to be in like a especially in the south you have to be in like atlanta or nashville or new orleans to kind of have a successful creative career and to make money and it's not really true um there's people want to support things in small towns across the South. And so it's kind of one of the things like if you build it, they will come. So we've had a tremendous support in this, in the shop and the gallery of people locally, but also people coming, driving in from like Selma, Montgomery and Tuscaloosa kind of all over coming in because they want to have a nice little day trip and they want to come and support things that are local. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to me to have that, that space to support that kind of stuff here, here in Greensboro. Let's get into, uh, some of the why and who you are. So, um, where was you? Where were you from, and where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Montgomery. Well, I grew up right outside of Montgomery, and um, and originally from a small town called Grady, Alabama. And then we lived in I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, so it's 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 kind of the closest kind of big city is Troy, Alabama, from okay. there. And then we moved to Hope Hole, which is right outside of Montgomery in Montgomery County. So I grew up and went to high school and elementary school all that stuff in Montgomery, Alabama, um, and then went to school in Boston for a while, and then Washington State for a while, and then went to UA and Tuscaloosa for uh, after that. Lived in Tuscaloosa and then Huntsville and Nashville, and then we relocated here about two years ago. So it's been sort of a, a meandering path to get back here. Yeah. Of, so of, when did you get into textile art and like, uh, where did that start? Did it start with textile or did you find your way into it? Yeah. So I grew up with my my mom, and my grandmother, or both. Um, they probably wouldn't call themselves textile artists, but I consider them that. They make like hand make lace and make quilts and all kinds of different things. So I always kind of had that, that stuff around me all the time. And then I worked at a place in Huntsville, Alabama called Low Mill. It's a, um, a big art center. It's um, I think it's the largest largest privately funded art center in the southeastern United States. It's a little oh, wow. textile mill that they have um, over 200 working artists there, and there's. Um, like restaurants and there's a there's a brewery and there's a distillery all kinds of different things in this place so i was a curator there and um part of my job there became also booking workshops for the gallery spaces and i booked several um natural dye workshops and kind of hand stitching workshops stuff like that and um once i found that stuff i kind of found my footing within textile arts and then it kind of just grew grew from there yeah and then I started teaching workshops a lot of times. And so I just yeah, kinda, I saw just you recently grew. did one, right? Yeah. So before the pandemic, um, that was what my main business really was teaching. So we traveled everywhere from the East Coast, all the West Coast, to, to Brooklyn, to Marfa, Texas, to Seattle, all over teaching um, mostly indigo dyeing workshops, using the indigo plant to, to make dye out of. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, obviously we couldn't travel as much. And so I wanted to focus more on kind of um, doing things at home, and that's when the studio space kind of was born out of uh, that. So one good thing yeah. from the pandemic was was making that studio space. That's cool, man. You know, like uh, that's that's the story of a lot of uh, you know people I've talked to here on the show, and just yeah. even friends. Like I have a couple of friends who you know they were the factory worker, and uh, weren't necessarily happy there, but was you know they got a family to provide for, and it was the best that they could find at the time. Yeah. Well, they got laid off during the pandemic. Sure. And so. Uh, they always wanted to start their own thing, mm -hmm. and perfect storm. 
and they're incredibly successful. Yeah. And it's like, look, man, you know, a lot of negative out of 2020, but look what you did. I mean, so, so, many, so many people really, um, they, people who kept their jobs, people who got like stimulus money or unemployment, they really tried to, re- a lot of people really try to reinvest that money locally and they really try to support small, small businesses and small, small makers. So it ended up being really like kind of a boom for a lot of people like that, where people were putting their money back into local economies mm-hmm. and, and yeah, so I mean, obviously there's a, a tremendous amount of loss for a lot of people, um, but I consider myself very fortunate that we were able to kind of weather that storm and kind of pivot in a new direction and, and make it really work really well. Yeah, I mean, and just just back to it for a second, but right when I saw it, you know, right when I was introduced, I was like, oh, we got to get the word out about this, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, I brought my friend Jamie down from Columbus because she loves this kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's like – we we need to we need to support this. I yeah. was like, we should put each other up. You yeah, know? and I love meeting people in other small towns because it's, it's, it's happening. It's not just in Greensboro. It's happening in small towns across. I mean, across the world, but especially I feel like in the Black Belt and in the South, like people are really like becoming aware of of all the kind of treasures that we have here to offer and really digging in deep to this region. Uh-huh. So I think it's been really really prevalent, especially in the pandemic. People are kind of going back local and going back inward to support small yeah. things too. You know, it's it's been fun, and uh, you're really in the music. And uh, let's go here for a second. Yeah. Is uh, I, it's it's always on my mind. I like talking about this. Is and a lot of people are saying made now. As far as like, not necessarily getting back to normal. But maybe it's the new normal. And I don't know how much the vaccine will have to do with it, but. Uh, a lot of people are believing that, you know, music shows and things of that nature by the end of May, going into June, July, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're going to be able to start going out and maybe party a little bit, you know? I mean, what yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so as far as, because I mean, my sort of like, my version of like te- of like shows is like teaching workshops and having people coming in and like learning stuff. And so I think that the kind of the goal was probably hopefully end of summer, beginning of fall, try to have people in the space again, people coming in, gathering in, yeah. in groups and having to having like even music in the, in the studio space too, little shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we're just, I mean, so far, I mean, I think that people were kind of surprised by how, how well like our little small town is doing with, with the, with the vaccine rollout. People are getting vaccinated pretty quickly here in this town. Mm-hmm. And so, I think, I think that, I mean, hopefully in the, I would say probably late summer, early fall. I mean, knock on wood and hopefully yeah, right. nothing nothing bad happens again like that. Yeah, but we, I think that we're hoping that by then we'll be able to, necessarily normal, but like at least kind of creep, creeping back towards normalcy in some way, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and like my thing is like, especially with a small town, and I, I, I 100% agree with that, like that people have really been investing in their town Mm -hmm. and this is the kind of question i've been pitching to musicians and also people who like really enjoy music it was why don't we begin to build these house show circuits or these studio circuits for people and i was like we can create these bubbles Mm -hmm. that you know maybe the music scene doesn't bounce back like we thought but maybe we can uh if if the musician decides to go this route is build a nice little circuit, mm-hmm. maybe Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, yeah. and uh, you can go day to day and play this house show circuit. Sure. And then it, it, all it does is it leads from home and it leads you back to home. Yeah. And then you know, rest because I mean you just had a you just had a tour. Yeah, and when and the money is usually kind of better for house shows a lot of times than it's playing these little like I mean I love a dive bar obviously. But yeah, I do too. A lot of times it's it's better money, better community. You get fed, <laughs> you get better alcohol. You know, you yeah. get you get better quality of, of show at these house shows, and I think people are realizing that for sure. 
And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if there's, I mean, I think in the past, you know, three years or so, there's been a big push towards house shows anyway, but I wouldn't be surprised that after this, there's like a much bigger even push towards house shows and kind of small sort of like community sort of shows like that too. Yes, uh, man, I'm a huge dive bar guy myself, yeah. but like when I, when I finally got into the, the house show circuit and then I learned about people like Will Johnson, it's like, uh, I mean, there are musicians who can be a full-time musician. He only plays house shows. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's got a whole undertow of the label. It's just, it's a never-ending circuit. Yeah. And like you said, I love going to a house show because everyone there is there for the same reason. You know, at a dive bar, you might be there to drink and someone happens to be playing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you don't have as much heckling. You don't have as much BS. Yeah. It's... It's, sure. it's, and it's a more intimate experience. Yeah, and I think the and I think that the music is better. I mean, because if the if the conditions are better, the band plays better, people sing better, and people are more invested in it, and you just, you just get a better show. That's right. And I think that also, I think people people forget is that if you play a small town, there's if you play a show in Nashville, there are 40 shows happening in Nashville that night. That's right. If you play Greensboro or you play Columbus, there's one show happening that night. So That's every, right. everyone comes to that show, and you end up being a really good crowd. Whereas if you play Nashville, people are going to pick and choose which show they want to go to. Mm-hmm. But in a small town, they're just going to go to that one thing that's happening yeah. that night. And you one get a horse great, pony. Yeah, exactly. You get a great crowd for that, and a really invested, like interested crowd, too, instead of having to like compete against everything else that's happening in that, in that same place. That's right. And I think you also people will take a take a gamble too. Like if they don't even know who you are, or they don't know what your music is, or what your artwork is, or anything like that. They'll just like come because that's what's happening, and they'll take a gamble and they'll and they'll get exposed to something new too. That's it. Uh, I love the way that Jamie Nettles she runs the Sunstroke House. It's a house venue in Columbus, Mississippi. And so like if if you hop into the the social media group, like on Facebook, or you can follow it on Instagram, is when she books whoever to come for you know three weeks out she is sharing music of that artist Mm -hmm. and she does like a you know if you can name your three favorite songs by this artist i'll give you a free (laughs) t-shirt you know and it's just because i love those shows that i've been to to where people actually vested and listen and when that song comes up yeah we're all singing it yeah and then you see like suddenly you have a giant following in columbus mississippi or a giant following, Greensboro. Album. You don't know, you, know, you could. Yeah. Yet now you suddenly have like really lucrative and also just a really rewarding audience yeah. there. And I couldn't imagine being the musician and like you know, let's say you're three quarters away to your set, and yeah. then someone recommends a song. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. dude, I really want to hear this song. Yes, you really care about what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, and it could be like like a deep cut too that someone loves, and that's really rewarding to hear something like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I guess, and then to get off of it is. Uh, you know, if you're playing a dive bar, I think you want to be more uppity and you want to play your fast songs. But at a mm-hmm. house show, it lends itself to wherever the night goes. Yeah, and you can st- you tell stories mm-hmm. and people are actually listening to your stories behind the song. You get a lot more out of it. Mm-hmm. But I think the same thing goes for, like, artwork, too, like visual arts, too. Like, if you if you have a gallery show in, like, a big city, there's, like, you know, five other galleries having a, having a show at the same time. And so you may not get the same crowd. But if you have a sh- gallery show in a small town... You get like really invested people from like regional cities too coming in to see that work, and you have more of a connection with that artwork too than you would have. And also in the, in the, with visual art too, like in Greensboro especially, there's not other galleries around um, in the area, so people who wouldn't normally see that kind of artwork or people who wouldn't even see like a show in general will come in and see like a, a beautiful show like quilts or paintings mm-hmm. or ceramic stuff, and, th- and there'll be a whole new experience for them, too, and it, and it lights a fire in their mind to make their own stuff, too, so it kind of snowballs from there. Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's been going on for some time. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with like the NFTs? Have oh, you, like have the, you seen that? Like the, the non-fungible token thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been looking into that because, like, it really piqued my interest last week when Taco Bell got into oh, it. Oh, yeah, they were selling, like, the GIFs of, like, burritos or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they were calling it, like, Taco NFTs or whatever clever little name. Yeah. And it, it was interesting how it correlated to uh, uh, cryptocurrency, specifically mm-hmm. Ethereum and uh, Ravencoin. And it was the art, the visual art was yeah. tethered to... A Bitcoin, mm-hmm. or not a Bitcoin, but an Ethereum or a Raven coin, and I was like, "That's so interesting because it, it's on a blockchain now." Yeah. And so, if you value that, and there begins to be value put on it, yeah. there's no telling what it could be worth. And when you buy it, it's not like I can't have the Mona Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's an NFT out there that I really like, it's totally unique. There's only one, and I hold it. Sure, yeah. And it's like, because it's on blockchain, it's contracted, and it's permanently on the internet forever that mm-hmm. who owns it. Yeah. And, like, you totally control the worth of it. And I was like, this is not going to be a bubble. Like, yeah. a lot of people were thinking, like, uh, it a bubble, it's a pop, it's just a phase. I think it's going to be like a Pokemon card or just like yeah. anything else. It's like, it's whatever yeah, the market I saw, says. I saw it so. being compared to, like, baseball cards, like, yeah. kind of like trading cards for like that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I believe that's true. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And that's that's interesting to me, just like the visual art where it's going. It's like, is this the next, is this where art's going to go? Like, I, yeah. not necessarily all of it, but with all this graphic design stuff that we're doing now, it could be very interesting to yeah. see what it does. I think there's always like tentacles that come off of, I mean, I think visual arts are always, and music obviously too, are some of the most like flexible sort of like they adapt to the time no matter what cause they have to. And so that's a good example of like, yeah, you, you, you make do what you, with giving what new technologies, you kind of make it work whatever mm-hmm. you've got. And then you like, eventually it kind of follows suit and, and there's money behind it hopefully sometimes hopefully and yeah but the nfts there's definitely a lot of money behind it for sure yeah and i mean you brought it up before uh we started rolling but uh just to throw some uh heat at it because it definitely deserves it is not only the album itself of janet simpson's but the album art oh yeah and i really like it when people do that it's like they'll use a visual artist sure. to make their album art yeah michelle reynolds did that cover of that that record and She's a quilter, and she's also is like a um, sort of like naturalist. She she works at like um, Ruffner Mountain in Birmingham, so she does a lot of like birding and sort of like nature. So all of her quilts are kind of about nature and stuff like that. And she made that amazing quilt of like the snake and the and the man kind of like doing over the snake for that album cover. And I love that like I think that there's such a such a direct tie between visual art and 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 music, obviously. And mm-hmm. I love when when people. And because I, when I was little, I would buy records based off the album cover. Like, just I didn't know what they were. I'd that's like, oh, that's right. That's a great cover. I'll buy that. And then some of my favorite albums based off of that. You know, when I was uh, 13, 14 years old, and like this is back when like FYE or these music stores yeah. and the malls <laughs> uh-huh. virtually don't exist like now. Sam Goody on stuff like that. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and totally. And you know, everyone says don't judge a book by its cover, but I would totally buy an album by yeah. the cover art. When to me too, it's like if you're gonna put all the effort in, into it, it's like it's kind of a bummer when there's a great album with like a kind of a, a dumb cover you know you like you want there yeah. someone to put that like holistic true effort into the whole package you yeah. want it to be a great cover and a great lighter note it's great you want all that stuff to be like part of the package mm-hmm. and i love when it all connects in that way yeah definitely man uh we were talking about it just a little bit before we got started of uh, i wanted to talk about montgomery for a while you spent some time in the area grew up in the area yeah and so uh to preface all this is uh, I haven't spent a whole lot of time there, but I've 
to be the capital of Alabama, in my, like I say, I haven't spent a whole lot of time, it always appeared to be very sleepy to me. Yeah. Um, so you told me a little bit about your parents' age of Montgomery and, like, yeah. your experience. So if we could yeah, open so, that up. Yeah, so I grew up in Montgomery, and I went to high school and elementary school, all my school in Montgomery. Um, and and my parents also are from around Montgomery, or they used at least had their, like, sort of adult years in Montgomery. They would go to, like, great little dive bars and see people like, like Guy Clark and all these, like, amazing shows and these little dive bars there. And by the time I was growing up, that wasn't really happening anymore. And I think that... Um, Montgomery kind of became like a business capital instead mm-hmm. of like a cultural capital of Alabama. And I think slowly it's becoming more and more they're realizing the the monetary aspect of having a cultural aspect of, of, of the city. And so they're slowly going back towards, or not back towards, but adding in a lot of um, like cultural stuff, like galleries, and there's more venues popping up, and there's more art galleries popping up, and mm-hmm. there's even like coffee shops and like lofts downtown. So I think it's, it's, it's slowly kind of like... Um, getting back into what you think of as like a capital city and like a, in another state kind of being. So it's, I think it's catching up kind of kind of slowly, but it's definitely getting there for sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think about Startville. Uh, I work in Startville, mm. and uh, they have a saying there. It's almost like what they say about Austin, only not to the scale of Austin. They, you know, they say uh, keep Austin weird. Yeah. <laughs> and so like it started some years ago. Uh, they said keep Starville strange and then some of the uh, the artists and Mm -hmm. some of the musicians uh got behind it and said be careful what you wish for (laughs) and so uh I'm excited uh Jamie Rogers put this together he's a Starville uh native and musician and uh he said that he wanted to have expression fest at the end of May and already uh it's getting support behind the uh you know it's got some financial backers towns behind it and then he decided, he's like, we're going to keep it Starville-specific. Like, Starville-only musicians and mm-hmm. artists, and uh, we're just really going to put our community up. And back in normal times, and so maybe we'll see it this summer, is during the summer, Starville would always have these Sunday fun days. Mm-hmm. And so it was literally like, just take a street in Starville, and you would line all these booths up with all the artists and artisans and bakers and musicians. Mm-hmm. And it would be a time for the community to come out and just support the arts. Yeah. And, and that's what I think about. Like, I think Starkville uh, in the state of Mississippi as a whole is being a cultural icon. And, uh, I mean, this is uh, really what my thoughts on Greensboro and y'all's crew here. Yeah. Is like, it's, a, it's a swift parallel, like uh, somewhat beginning to see y'all's vision yeah and what you have for this and i think i think you're all over it yeah i think that um they're like greensboro has a pretty high threshold for like weirdness like they're pretty open-minded here because there's there's a thing called rural studio that's based here it's a part of auburn university it's like it's a design build program from the school of architecture and at auburn university Mm -hmm. and they build sort of like contemporary um like innovative material housing for like um low-income people but also for community-based buildings so you'll be driving, driving downtown you'll see like all the Annabelle mansions you would see in, in any small town next to this like really crazy building next to that built by Rural Studio yeah. so they've been here for a long time so Greensboro's kind of used to that fusion of like new very new innovative ideas with like older ideas too um I just and, think about the houses here yeah right? totally yeah and I think that um like, like we had an opening reception last weekend at the gallery space and we had like probably like 60 people or so come in which maybe sounds small for a bigger city that's a pretty big crowd for a small town like us 
And so when you have those things, people come to them. People are really into that kind of, um, like they want those sort of like cultural things to be happening. They're, they they love seeing like mm-hmm. kind of strange, innovative stuff happening because like that's what they want to live here for is those things too. They want the old. They want the sort of like traditional kind of like slow life too. But they also want the injections of like weirdness too sometimes. Mm-hmm. So and I think people also um, underestimate small towns. They, they they don't they don't like weird stuff. They really people people are into that kind of stuff in small towns too. They're open to that thing <laughs> they for are. the most part. Yeah. It's just like you can't underestimate your audience. You have to, you have to like, yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to be there for them, and they'll they'll deliver if you if you deliver to them, you know. Yeah, and just to talk a little bit about like all the different art that uh, that you have there. I think yeah. the last time I hung out in your shop, you had some textile and quilts, but uh, and I would consider it folk art as well. But yeah. there, there was some folk art. Yeah. So we had we had a, had a the, one of the first big shows we had was called um, it was a group show called Alabama Sampler. And there's a tradition in quilting called a sampler quilt where you make all these different quilt blocks into one big quilt to kind of show off your like show off your like your breadth of like skills you have. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to have a show called Alabama Sampler to kind of showcase the like diverse skills of people in the state. So people in the state were were invited to apply with different kinds of like their version of quilts. It could be like an actual quilt or it could be a ceramic quilt or a painting of a quilt, whatever they wanted it to be that explained their sort of like experience growing up in Alabama. And we ended up with like almost like 60 applicants like a, a lot of people applied for it and about 30 artists ended up being in the show and there was like like you said there was folk artists there were uh michelle who did the cover of that janet simpson, simpson art, uh, album was in it there's like always like a whole like diverse array of people in that show and uh people who came in the gallery were just like so like thankful and like grateful there was happening in, in, their, in their downtown they, they loved it and there was like a huge number of people came out to see that show we ended up selling probably like half the show sold in the gallery space. And they, yeah. we, ship, we shipped as far away as like North Carolina, New York. People bought stuff from all over. Wow. So it ended up being like a really like, you know, it started as, it started off as like a, a, a show of Alabama, but it really ended up being like a, we exported all of our stuff out too, you know, and, and it ended up being a really good showcase of the work being made. Because I think that people don't realize that there is some really incredible work being made in the state. But I mean, obviously you cover so much of the music in your podcast, but there's some amazing artwork being visual art being made in, in the state too, that I think it's kind of slept on sometimes if you're big not in a big city and it's, big it's, 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 it's being made. It's, it's amazing stuff. It's like comparable to stuff you see in Atlanta, even like in like New York galleries too. It's, it's happening here yeah, too. It is. And uh, that's something that's beginning to caught my eye. And I've had a few artists on the show like yeah um the mcgowans uh joe and his son joseph uh i, I own quite a bit of their art yeah <laughs> and it's like incredibly psychedelic and it's like it's really strange and yeah it's really like uh me and my sister-in-law uh, we made a joke about my uh my room that i do all the recording work for the show at at the house in is like with all the weird art it's like you're going to, have to put an age limit in here because i think some of this art might scare children <laughs> yeah which i mean it's not like we have kids yeah over at the house anyway, all the yeah. time anyway of uh, yeah and like uh peyton trim he just had a show at the columbus arts council and he does cool. like these watercolors and he's just he's really yeah, good all these arts councils and in small cities do like really incredible work and they give out so much money to people too they support so many artists mm-hmm. too and people don't realize that that's like, right and that's a really a way that people make make ends meet in small towns. Like, I've been supported by like the Black Belt Community Foundation and like like all these different like nonprofits in different cities that will like s- support the gallery with grants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a lot of money. People really support the arts when they, when they happen here. And I think that it's just like 
and people people in the in the state really know about it. I think it's a matter of getting people outside the states to realize that and then flock in and see it too. Yeah, right. You know, because they think you have to go to a, a a bigger city to see really high quality art, and it's not really it's not really the case. You can see great art in. In Greensboro, that's or, right, or in Starkville, or in Columbus, or all anywhere, yeah, all these places have yeah. amazing stuff going on. And then yeah. just like with with the musicians I've had on, and like with Taylor Hollinsworth, I wasn't even aware that he did his own. Oh okay, like you, I, showed, I you shared, showed me that piece, yeah. Yeah, I shared some of that with uh, with you and uh, Abe Partridge. Like I was familiar with his art because when I found Abe, I was I was just as familiar with his art as I was with his music. Mm-hmm. So. I knew about both, but with Taylor, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're, like, that in tune with yourself and with your, like, creations, with your musician, it makes a lot of sense that you can make that jump into visual arts, sure. too. Because it's the same sort of, like... Because I want to say, like, Taylor does his own, like, album art, too. Yeah, I'm, yeah. so, I mean, and it makes sense. It's like, because who knows it better than you do? Yeah. You know, who knows that work better than you do to make the artwork that represents that stuff? Yeah, I love seeing how people make that jump from... Um, the visual stuff, even like Tim's favorite, Joni Mitchell, and she makes some incredible painting. Everyone knows her for music, but she makes incredible paintings mm-hmm. too. And so it's like if you're if you're that in tune with your with your work, it's not that crazy to make a jump into another medium too, because because you're you're that in tune with your with your kind of like inner creative self. You know, you can make that jump easily. You know, not easily, but you can make that jump. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's a uh, Kurt Cobain quote. Like uh, we had this stretch. Uh, back in year one of Porch Talk to where uh, it was the journal sessions. It's mm-hmm. like I would take an excerpt out of the Kurt Cobain journal. Yeah. <laughs> and there was this, uh, it, it was all about art. And it, it was Kurt's take on the difference between visual and audio art. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, like, uh, there's a lot more to uh, the audio art, but there's also a lot to the visual art. And he said, uh, you can't say the same about each of them because mm-hmm. they're totally different mm-hmm. and they bring about totally different emotions. Yeah. And I think, there's, there, I think there's different, um, like audiences too. Like some people, obviously I think most people love music. I mean, I think it's people yeah. like, and it's, it's easy. I think it's easier to, to like, to like snag people with your music than it's with like visual art sometimes. Yes. People like visual arts love visual art. So I think it's like, I think it's a matter of, of crossing that threshold and making people realize like visual arts for everybody. Like you can you can you can find some point of access in there too. I think that you know, one of the things that we really want to do with, with the gallery space here is that, is like isn't your typical like white wall like kind of hoity-toity like scary gallery. It's like it's like you can come in there, you can feel comfortable, you can you can feel at home in this space too. And like and like paintings, visual arts, they're all for you too. Like you, you can find your like your space and you can be comfortable with that. You don't have to be like a educated in art to like get it you know like you can you can you can you can get it and love it without having some like background in visual arts too mm-hmm. it's all there you have to just to give yourself a chance to kind of immerse yourself in it yeah i was i was always like really into music yeah and it wasn't it's, it's been over like the past two years to where i really got into visual art and yeah. like even since i got into visual art it's it's crazy like where where it's taken it's like uh and I have a really good friend, and uh, she tells me this all the time when we when we get to talking, is uh, I'll, I'll bring up something, you know, that uh, let's just say like maybe graffiti, mm-hmm. or what, and a lot of people don't even like that term anymore. Yeah, like, it's like street art, or whatever. right, <laughs> yeah, right, and and that's what she always says. Like when I'll bring up something that I, I'm kind of on the fence about, or maybe don't agree with, and she's like, well, maybe that's art. 
Yeah, the, and I was like, well, the, I don't think we should always give that a cop out, but yeah, I think you're. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 agree. I think there should be like some, some like evaluation. I think it's okay to like not like something too. I think it's, and I think that's valid. If you're like, that's yeah. not my thing. I, I don't like that, but I think it opens up the kind of. Um, it opens up the audience to be like, well, someone else might find something in that stuff that you don't like, but that's like right. it still was like. I think my the way that I approach stuff for the most part is like I like the act of making for the most part mm-hmm. and I like the cathartic kind of like aspect of actually making this stuff. And so I think that um, there's so many different points of access for people to find either, either the making of it or the, the finished product or like the in between. There's all these different points you can like find some, some way of appreciating it, a way yeah. of liking it. Yeah. I want to ask you this is when you were uh, when you were getting ready to exit high school, um, what, what was you wanting to do? Uh, I mean, was college on your mind? Yeah, like- so I, I went to art school, and I went to the, uh, I went to art school in Boston, Massachusetts, for photography, and it didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't. It wasn't. Was into there a lot it. of cultural shock going from south to north? Yeah, I mean, I um, like my, my my parents are like <laughs> born and bred very Alabama people, like super southern people, and I, I mean, I and I love the south. I think the south is amazing, and they were people who were like very open and showed me a lot of art and like especially music growing up so I was, I was definitely exposed to a lot of different things growing up that I, that like I don't think everyone necessarily was and where I was from necessarily but and so and then we had traveled a good bit to um even just like my parents were this is like a side note my parents were really big football fans too so we used to go every weekend we travel to, to a new city to go see a football game and, oh. and part of that was still like you know you still see a new city even though it's a football game you still see a new city you still yeah. are exposed to new things just for football too and so I went to all these different cities doing that stuff so I mean I, I had traveled a good bit So, but it definitely was a shock of like living in a place like that definitely sure. but I mean I think that I think a lot of people w- would agree with this too I, I think that for the most part a lot of people are too young to go to college after high school like you're too young you don't you don't know what you're doing yet i think so (laughs) and that might be a lot too with what we're dealing with now and we don't have to spend a whole lot of time here but like with the the student debt crisis with the student loans yeah uh, my kicker is if they decided to like wipe out student i've got student loans i mean most people i know have student loans yeah and what's crazy is i know some people when they exited college they own right they owed right at 40 grand yeah it's been 20 years, and they got it down to 32. Yeah, or, or they are like 42 now because of right. interest, you know. It's right, and my thing is, like, let's start here. Yeah. If we're going to talk about this, is I've been paying on mine for five years now, and literally I can't see a dent. Yeah, I mean. Like, so if we could just waive those interests and, like, you just yeah. pay what you owe, that would yeah. be cool. And the but, whole thing is, like, if you look at, like, people will post, like, screenshots or, like, transfers of like, what their parents pay for college, you know, and it was, like, Three hundred dollars a semester. It's like it's so it's not even comparable to That's what right. our generation before us paid for things. So mm-hmm. there's no like framework. People aren't used to like they don't they even realize what people owe. It's insane, and it's like a debt that you inherit for. Because I think you're promised like you'll get a job, it will be okay. But, but like that's not how it happens. No, you know? it's, not. It's, it's not how it works. And so I think that so I went to art school and I, I was I went went to like a, a, a pretty like rigorous academic high school a magnet school in Montgomery and so I was really lucky to have scholarships for my school so I, I was l- very lucky not to have student debt but um, I went to art school for a year or so and I just wasn't really ready for it so I stopped took a year off traveled a little bit and then I ended up going back to Alabama and here in Tuscaloosa and was a little bit older and was much happier and much more kind of like set in what I want to do and I 
say our history instead and kind of like got more into tune to like the making of things more so than like the rigid kind of like rigor of art school and I was much more much happier there and found my kind of footing within that later on yeah yeah a bit of like just the art and like how it how to do yeah. it I bet that kind of puts you on the trajectory for yeah, where you're right. at now then I worked at a place called Kentuck in, in, in Tuscaloosa or Northport which is like a folk art festival they do every right. year yeah that's just and downtown I, Northport yeah, if and you I, will. and I've been going the, I've been going to that festival every year since I was like a, like a baby and my, my mom loved it and so I worked there, and I was like the my job there was the um uh the it's a folk artist festival, so a lot of folk artists go there who are like don't necessarily have like internet or don't, some of them don't don't read or write. They're sort of like self-taught artists who kind of like exist in the periphery of the art world. And so my job there was I was the artist liaison, so I would be in charge of like making sure they were handled. I would have to call them and like go visit them and make sure they were all like knew what was going on, they were handled and everything like that. So it really taught me how to deal with any kind of artist you could ever deal with you know i would have to call like city hall of a small town like track people down and be like can you go see if they're okay and make sure they're like you know they're coming to the festival and stuff like that so it was like it was craziness and then i worked at a low mill in huntsville after that where i was a curator there and i worked at a gallery in nashville after that so i got like the back end um like gallery like the professional stuff down really well and then uh then that and in the background i was making my own work at the same time yeah and then when i started teaching the dying stuff like that I was able to kind of branch out on my own and how did that happen like how that. did the how did the teaching open its door i just so i had a friend who's an artist in new orleans her name's kate beck and she's an incredible studio and um she bought it probably 20 years ago in the bywater before anything was like new orleans was you know was, wasn't like a what it is now by any means you yeah. know she bought it for nothing it's just three-story gorgeous structure building where it's her the first floor is her showroom second floor studio and third and fourth floor where she lives and so she she asked me to come down and teach there i was like well i guess i can see what happens well i'll try teaching and it sold out people loved it and then i just started emailing people that i knew who had like galleries or who had like art centers and sort of asking if I could teach and they were like yeah come teach it you already hit and, up Columbus Arts yeah and yeah I mean I love teaching like like art centers are like the best places to teach and, and pe- they do that really, dude pe- they they do those you know like even they just started it back but they have been so receptive and even like I've noticed that they have done so much for the children of Columbus yeah, as far true. as like bringing in people like you to teach these different styles and yeah. that's another thing that I've uh, you know, thank God I started doing the show and got invested into the local art scenes was like, dude, if I was a kid, like I was never introduced to any of this. Right. It's like the reason I like, like music and play guitar is cause I saw my buddy play that, you know, the high school talent show. Yeah. And totally. it, just, it blew my hair back. Yeah. All these little things can have be like really formative moments for yeah. people. And so like, people. I couldn't imagine if I was eight and like, you know, my mom or dad just dropped me off at the art studio for two hours, even though if yeah. babysitting or whatever you yeah, want to call totally, it. But I was yeah. like, uh, dude, there's a chance that you might impact that yeah, little guy. So, you know? That was one of the big goals here is that, like, I think that people um, don't always think about being artists as being, like, a way of actually making money. And so they think of, like, like being a pharmacist or being an engineer is, like, being the only way of having, like, stability. Yeah. And so one of the goals of having the studio here was to be able to show, like, hey – you can actually be an artist in a small town and still make make your end meet and, and have like a you know like a fulfilled life too. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted I wanted like kids and high school students and people like that to see like you can do this too and it can you can be a teacher and make money or be I like love artist, how the, the Auburn uh, college kids are involved with this. Yeah, totally. That blew my mind. You know that day that we we were probably just hanging out for an hour there at the studio, 
it blew my mind how many young people were in and out. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how many people are, and it, it gives a whole like lifeblood to the city too, because like there's new students every year, a new mm-hmm. batch comes in, new young people coming in who are like investing in things, spending their money in the town, like building things and doing stuff too. So it, it gives a, a longevity to, because I mean I love all the old people who live here too they're incredible amazing people too but that's they your, but, yeah, that's but, your backbone yeah but they also love the young people too they're so excited about seeing people coming in and town right. and doing stuff and like because it gives them a legacy too like they, they know the town's in good hands when they when when they leave or pass on one day they know that there's people here who are going to like take over and do good things too that's right uh and i i like seeing it on those small town spectrums but i think it's easier for it to happen there it's like you hop on social media right now and it's like these gen z are in a war with the millennials over the use of an emoji. I know. It's and so I was like, this stupid. is stupid, guys. I know. There's bigger fish to fry. Yeah. You know, like we all can unite and, be, and have yeah. a much bigger it's impact. Like, I don't really you care know? if you illustrate how you laugh with a skull. And they're all mad about like side parts too, or like side parts versus the middle parts. And yeah. like, and what kind of jeans you wear. It's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all. It's like, it's like small the, things, Like man. keep your head down, do the work and be involved in the community. And it'll be much bigger than whatever you're fighting about. Yeah. And that's what I like about this small town is, like, it's real nose on the grindstone. And yeah. it's like, we're, we're going to focus on what matters. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, there's, un, there's like, there's 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 far less distraction than a small town, too. That's you right. Know? So you, you, you work on what you want to work on, and you focus on that, and, you, and it ends up being better because there's all, all the other, like, noise in the background kind of influencing you at the same time. Yeah. And, I, I it, like, in a small town, I'm, I'm going to pick with Tim later about this, is, uh, like, I like that song, uh, Every Day Is Not A Party. Yeah. Uh, off his album, but like in a small town, every day kind of is a kinda, party. Yeah, it can kind of be a party if you want to be. Yeah, yeah, because it's. I mean, you it's you and your people. It's a small tribe, and yeah. it's like might not even call, might just show up. Yeah, I mean, it's the best place to for the pandemic for sure was the best place to be because you have like a roaming porch party all the time. Yeah. Like you can be on someone's porch, you can be outside. You have you know, plenty you, of space. Yeah, it's plenty of space. You can space out. You have plenty of time to and space to just like invest in that community and like make those relationships happen. Maybe a smaller community than you have in a bigger city, but it, but it ends up being a much stronger community than you have I think in other places, so, man. too. I think so. But I even, like, just take Birmingham, and um, I spent three months capturing the scene, and uh, then I backed away, and I started covering other areas, and then I'm getting back into Birmingham. Is I love the relationships I've made there, and I see, uh, I see the heart and soul of the music scene. What I've observed about Birmingham is very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's uh, two uh, music scenes. There is the the older crowd. Yeah. Uh, to me, and the younger crowd, uh, you have early James and Zach Austin, and then you have, that, that's the younger uh, generation of music in that town. Yeah. Then you have the older generation who's been doing it for some time, such as like Taylor Hollinsworth, and uh, you got Wes McDonald, Terry Holmes, or uh, Les Newby. And, like, it's beautiful because you have people like Will Stewart who, like, go in between and, like, yeah. and a lot of people are going in between and they're really working to each other. And in my opinion, like, Birmingham I consider to be the mecca of Alabama right now for the music scene. Sure, it's, like, yeah. everything that's coming out. But it's seeing the heart and the soul of that town with the music scene is how interconnected it is yeah it's it's easily a party whenever you go sure and well in greensboro everyone like i mean there obviously is a a big older crowd here too and and they're just like so stoked all the time that people are living here like we bought our house here and like sarah later bought her house here and they're just like so excited it's like it's like a generational shift like we'll be here for like 
40 years. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully we'll be here for 60, 70 years. I don't know how long yeah. I'm going to be when I die. But, I mean, they're so excited to know that, like, this town's in good hands. Yeah. And, and they're so supportive. And there's 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 not that, that divide necessarily because people just, like, fuse and they're mm-hmm. so easily. They're, they're so excited about things that are happening here. So, yeah, it's... it's, it's um. I've been really. I think that people think there may be like sort of like an old guard or something like that in a small town, but it's like we're not really. They're also happy that it's happening. They, they come out like on the weekends. Like we have people come out like every weekend to buy stuff from from the, the town who were in their like seventies, eighties. You know, who just are so excited about like coming and spending their money and in, in, in people who live here and like investing it locally. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just works out really nicely. It's funny. Uh, a buddy of mine. He's. Uh He's bounced around. I think he finally decided he's going to bounce down the Fairhope. Oh, yeah. But uh, he he called he called me the other night. What's well, it's been other night? It's probably been a month. Uh, like tracking time and during the COVID, it seems like a month is a year and yeah. all that. <laughs> time is a myth now. Yeah, <laughs> right. And he called me. He said, "Man, you've been all over Alabama, Mississippi." He said, "Is there any towns uh, like on your radar that you would actually live or one that you would recommend?" And I I said. I'd, I'd I'd go spend some time in Greensboro. Yeah, I mean, we, we sort of keep and, like tricking people and moving here, and they get here and they're like, "Yeah, it's actually really great." I'm like, "Yeah, we told you, it's that, great." <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like what he told me right when I said Greensboro. He said, "Alan, get out of here." I know people when they come. I was here, like, "No," I was like, "Just one day." When they come you, here, you they get you, it. Yeah, yeah, you and your wife, one day. Yeah, just just come check it out. When they come here, they get it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it can it can work." And we're like, "Yeah, we yeah, it it, it, it seems crazy, but yeah, it it can happen for sure." Let's start there. All right. Uh, we got uh, two more things I want to go over, and then we can throw a pop up in there too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, let's let's talk about paths, and I mean we've kind of captured that with your story of, but just for, and we we've, we've been answering it the whole time, is why Greensboro and like why you do what you do, why do you have a studio? It's yeah. like this path that you've been on. Yeah, I think that, um, so, I mean, I grew up really rural, like, super small towns. So I've always really had, like, a, I've always understood, the like, the magic and the potential of small towns uh, more than I think most people probably do. Because I think if you live in a small town, you kind of get it. But if you don't... It's a very you, romantic thing. Yeah, and I think it, and I think you can, you can sort of think of it as, like, not being something that you could do necessarily if you lived in one. But, um so I grew up in a small town, and then we were living in Nashville, and our friend Ian, who you've interviewed too, he moved to, um, who's a good, really one of our best friends, moved here, and we kept visiting him down here, and we loved it, and it kind of went from being, like, every visit would be a little bit more like, oh, like, at first it was like, we couldn't live there, and it was like, maybe we could live there, and by then it was like, maybe we could live there, and so <laughs> yeah. we, we were driving back to Nashville one now, day. Now, y'all met in Tuscaloosa, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we, we met probably almost 10 years ago in Tuscaloosa and Ian's been here for five years now. And that's another crazy thing about paths, right? Yeah. I mean, you just never know who you're going to intersect with. And Ian's, you know, he's just a, a character and a half. So you yeah. never know what you're going to, you Him never, and yeah. his damn geese. <laughs> I know the geese you know, <laughs> and the geese are new. He hadn't always had the geese, but I don't know if, I don't know if he had the geese when we first met him, if I would have been his friend. Cause those geese are mean. But I mean, we, we stopped at a Mexican restaurant on the way back from here one time. And, um, 
outside of Birmingham, we just and me and Tim basically made a pro and con list of like what were the benefits of living in Greensboro, and what were the cons of living in Greensboro. Yeah. And at the time, it was just because like I travel all the time teaching workshops, and Tim travel on the road, so it was like we could have a small little home, quiet home base. We could be happy living in this little quiet place sure. and get our fix on the road. Now, did y'all do the Huntsville and Nashville moves together from yeah. Tuscaloosa? Yeah, for Tuscaloosa, we had the whole yeah. Okay. We've been together for ten years, um, and. So it started off as being kind of like, well, we could just live there and like it'd be cheap and we can have a cool house. And then when we got here, we just realized how beautiful the community was. And I think people, a lot of people also come into a small town with like a savior mentality, thinking like, we're going to save it. And we didn't have that. It we, doesn't need it. Yeah, exactly. We, there was not broken. You can add something. Yeah, exactly. So we, were, we wanted to use kind of like our strengths just to kind of like add to what was already there. Mm-hmm. And so. We thought well, we could just we just try and see what happens and and um I'm a, yeah like I said I'm a big fan of small towns and I and I and I, and I thought that we could kind of use our strengths to kind of bring a whole other layer to here and kind of people were into it already so we, we could have shows and gallery spaces and stuff like that in this in a town and and so when the pandemic hit again we were talking about before it just kind of the studio space kind of opened up and just kind of worked out um, but I think that I think that. Um, as with the pandemic, especially, people were realizing that you can really work from anywhere. You can make, you kind of bloom where you're planted, kind of thing. And for us, it was in Greensboro, and and we will have a house, we bought a house here now, and I, I can't imagine living anywhere else, you know. And there, there's a lot of liberty you get in a small town. There's a lot of, um, you know, in, in a bigger city, your focus all the time is on your hustle and, and making ends meet and making sure you have a roof over your head, and and there's not a lot a lot of time for like experimentation and for trying things and. Mm-hmm everything has to be like a knockout. It has to be something that's going to pay your bills. Whereas in a small town, you can kind of mess up and like try things that don't work. And if it doesn't work, it's like, well, you still can make your mortgage and you can make your rent, you know, you're okay. That's right. And so you end up making better work when you, when you have that less pressure on, on you. And so we're, I, 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 everyone I talk to, I, I encourage if they're thinking about moving out of a big city, it's like, just try it and like, see, cause you'll, you'll be really, um, I think shocked and surprised by how much support you get, how much support you can find for like grants and stuff like that to, to, to supplement what you're doing anyway, mm-hmm. and how much local small communities are really going to be into it. And they're going to be so grateful that you're doing that, and they're going to come out and support you and get, spend money and, and buy your albums and buy your artwork and buy your baked goods and, and do all that and ask you to speak at their, like, their group luncheons and stuff like that. It, it's pretty amazing how all that happens once you get here. That's right, man. And I, when I think about paths, is, I mean, you hit it a little bit. Is I also think about uh, success. And, of course, nobody mm-hmm. wants to be a failure. We all want to be successful. And, like, I grew up in a small town, too. And there is this, uh, it was almost like a, there was an imaginary roof uh, mm-hmm. above me. Is I remember there, there was a saying, I graduated from South Lamar, and when we would go to community college like Bevel State and Fed or Shelton State in Tuscaloosa, that mm. they could pick out a South Lamar student based on the fact that they couldn't write a paper or do math. Mm. And so we, there was this automatic stereotype on us already that, okay, you had to break through that first. And then number two is like defining success is like... Success in a small town looks a lot different than a big city. Yeah, because like, imagine all you may not have had these math and paper tools, but imagine all the skills you had that people other people didn't have. You yeah, know, they, didn't, they didn't know how to do other things that you know how to do. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of like recalibrate your definition of success and what does success mean to you. And like, and I think you have to also like you have to just find personal success and like validate yourself personally. That's and, right. And that's all you really have to worry about. And you just said <laughs> it like success. The way I measure success is 
it is impossible to fail to me when you find what you're passionate about mm-hmm. and you strive and persevere every day. Mm-hmm. And even in your failure, what's the point of failing? Learn. What's the point of losing? Learn. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I lost and critically look at it. Why did I lose? Don't make the same mistake. Right. And you'll start winning. Yeah. And it's small scale, whatever you're doing, you know, whatever you want to do. And, uh, I think you also have to, people also have to like readjust their idea of like, like productivity too. I think that when you are sort of conditioned to work a nine to five and have to like sit at a desk for nine hours a day, it's like, you think of that as being productive, but like uh, d- that can be different for different people. Like, Absolutely. You know, like making, making your own work is also really productive. And some, some days it's making a painting. Some days it's just like doing research. Some days it's like trying things out. It's going for a drive and like getting inspired. There's all these different ways of being productive that when you remove that, like, um, I mean, it sounds like a very privileged thing, but when you live in a small town, you're able to do that, but you can remove that, that pressure of that, financial sort of like overhead you Mm -hmm. really can like change that idea of being productive in different things and like i said before it's really kind of liberating to have that freedom when you live in a smaller place with with lower income and or lower not income lower um overhead you know you can you can really have a lot more freedom and flexibility and and change for me being successful i think it used to be like money being or being like known you know or being like like, and now it's more like it's being known, but it's being known in my area and it's being known for like in my community for being like really generous and being like giving back to my community and being present there and giving people things. And it's, it's not so much like having a bunch of followers on Instagram or having a bunch of it's, it's, it's my idea of success has changed kind of dramatically. Oh, yeah. Dude, I got a buddy and uh, we, we talk about it all the time is, uh, you know, last last time we were hanging out and I really tracked it for him during the pandemic. But. He was really addicted to social media and the likes mm-hmm. and the follows and all that. And I was like, it's a dopamine thing for you. I can tell. It's I mean, easy to fall into that, that hole. Yeah, it's like you, you've really fell into that hole to where, I mean, you're, you're constantly checking to see if you got any kind of interaction. Yeah. And I was like, dude, social media does not matter. Mm-hmm. I was like, you have to, you have to, the skin in the actual game is in the real world. Definitely. And I, and I think of like I want like respect from my peers, my other like people are making the same kind of stuff. I, I, I want their respect and like collaboration is, is successful to me. Like people who want to work yeah. with me, that, that's successful to me yeah. more than like because I, mean, I think people also equate having likes with having like income, having money. Yeah, but that's not really the case. Especially nope. in, like people who come into the studio and buy stuff, they aren't Instagram or Facebook. They're, they're just coming in, they like it, and they like want to get something and want to have a part of your work. They don't. They don't care about what your last Instagram post was. They care about what the last right. thing you made was, the last quilt you made, or the last painting you made, the last yeah. ceramic mug you made. They care more about that than anything else. That's and right. So I've had to. And it's, I mean, it takes a while to recalibrate in that way, but it's um, it's it works. It's beneficial. If you it can it do does that. a lot for your mental health. Yeah, definitely. And it, it does a lot for uh, staying on track, on yeah. course. Uh, I believe yeah, you, that. Yeah, you had a post recently about um, having a mood board, and I think, and I'm a big fan of a vision board and a yeah. mood board because it's like if you can identify to yourself what your goal is, you can block out all the white noise of everyone else's goals are because you right. may not have the same idea of success as somebody else has of success, and if you compare it to yours, and you're trying to you're trying to like get what they think is successful, and it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter, and it's fine, you know. Yeah, I, I, I love talking about that, and I didn't know it until I had Monson Brothers, and like I'm a part of that business now yeah. because I, I love the the vision yeah and like i love being a part of that family and yeah. like a lot of part of it was 
that's where I learned about a vision board. Mm-hmm. And, like, I consider Monson to be a successful person. And, like, if I implement some of the things that he does, yeah. I will be too. And it, we've been doing these work trainings at work, and that was a crazy statistic. And I don't know if it's true, and I think I put it in that post, that only 3% of Americans actually set goals. Mm. It, that's shocking to me, but... It also makes a lot of sense to me because when I see these people hit retirement age and they retire, they often quickly die. Mm. It's yeah, like they yeah, work yeah, to. There's no more to like work for. After they, that. they work yeah. to retirement and they yeah. didn't. They didn't know what to do with themselves when they weren't working. So their, you yeah. know, the quality of life went down because it, it. They didn't feel like they had a purpose. Right. And so, like, man, I'm vision board and I have to redo mine all the time. And that's fine. Because sometimes I hit that go. I mean, I've had to come to terms with the fact that, like, I'm probably not ever going to retire. But the whole thing is, like, the work I do is, like, I don't want to quit doing it. Yeah. So, like, I don't, I don't want to retire. You know, I mean, I may not have a gallery forever, but I'll have, like, some per, I'll have some public component. If it's, like, curating shows or making my work, I'll be doing it forever, and I'm fine with that. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily – it may not be – someone else's idea of success but it's like i won't have like a the 401k someone else has but it's like i don't i don't i'm okay with that you that's know? fine I'm, that's I'm, right I've, I've made my well I've it's your stake bed. at the american dream right yeah totally it's like and i think that the hard part and aren't is, you happy yeah i'm yeah i mean the quality of life of living here and, and having that recalibration has just like it's it's just been it's been a quite a big shift it's been amazing and this is something else and this is a study it was done at the university of california back in the 80s and uh, i was just i just recently learned about it it's the pig laying effect hmm. and the athalea effect and so the thing about that there was this greek artist and he was a sculptor and his big goal was this is pig laying he wanted to uh, sculpt true beauty and so he sculpted this beautiful woman mm-hmm. and he fell in love with it. <laughs> and so he was like sad every day. And so the, the mythology is that Venus uh, saw how much he loved his work. So she brought it to life. Mm. And so, and then they took it to a workplace or even a school. And so this, this university of California study of a list of names randomly was given throughout 18 schools in these California school district. Mm. And the teacher was to pay more attention to that student and was even told that this student was a high caliber. The fact was, uh, as far as IQ or however you want to look at it, the student was actually lower on the mm-hmm. totem pole than everyone else. Mm-hmm. But because of the time and the, attention, and the yeah. attention, that student rose to the top. Yeah. And they done it for trades. They did it for a welding school. Mm-hmm. And it was equally true. They said they picked three out of the study in a class of 20, spent mm-hmm. more time with those three, they came out to be the best. No crap. Because why? They were, there was positive. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything was positive for them. Yeah. That's the pig laying effect. But the opposite effect, it can be negative. And, I mean, that's why people leave their work. That's If they have an awful boss who, right. you know, uh, can never give a compliment, who can who cannot. Like uh, a toxic workplace thing. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. And so, but you can you can do this effect. And I, I was telling a buddy about it the other day, and I was like, I just learned how to do mind control. He's like, mind control is not real. And I was like, check this out. And I showed him all these different studies. And you can actually do it through yourself. And that's the Athalea effect. It's like vision board. I've, I clearly laid out what I want. And I'm about to put skin in the game. And I believe in myself. Yeah. I'm going to bet on myself. That is a positive mm-hmm. for you. And you're believing in yourself. And so, like, 
you're buying into your own work. Sure, yeah. That, that commitment to yourself, it goes a long way. It's self-confidence. And we see it all the time, especially with like young girls. I think they fall into the social media thing with the likes. It's like self-confidence is so detrimental sometimes for them. Yeah. And so the moment they become self-confidence, it's just a blossoming moment for them. Yeah, I think I think any time that you sort of like any kind of maker or artist or musician, any kind of maker of any kind, when you tie that sort of like, if you tie the quality of your work to the reaction to the work, then that, that's when you're going to have some trouble. You know, like if you, you got to find satisfaction, like like for me, like what I'm, I'm so satisfied with what I'm doing and, I, and I'm proud of what I'm doing and I, and I find, so it's like the act of doing it is enough for me anyway. And the other feedback is just like, I mean, obviously I like to sell stuff for other people, kind of like to make other artists money, obviously, and make money for myself too, but like just the act of making it is, is good. And like any other stuff that's coming in from other people is just like extra bonus, you know, it's, it just helps along the way. That's right. But you have to get to a point where you're just, you're doing it. You're doing it for yourself at a certain point, and it's not selfish. It's just like it's 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 just like investing in yourself. That's it's right. It's making it work for you. That's right, man. And so, I think I think people have, people have a hard time separating that. I think from like other people's other people's like kind of idea of what is being good and what your own idea of being good is. Mm-hmm. And, and and there nothing's wrong or right. It's just like it's what you have to just do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the vision board it really helps put that in perspective. Yeah. And the thing about it is like. It's a vision board, so like, I actually like putting the picture. Oh sure, I want to yeah. see it every day. Yeah, this, this is what I'm working towards. Yeah, I mean, I, I got really into like more like <coughs> there's a holding morning pages where you write every morning in a journal. Just like oh yeah, I, I do a dream journal too. Yeah, you just like write freeform because like, like you you just write it whatever you're thinking about that morning and you just like and like if so that that way if you're like pissed or if you're like annoyed by something you get it out in the morning and you don't think about it the rest of the day that's right like you already did it and then so you, the rest of the day is like you don't waste the energy on the other thing you wish you your energy is all on yourself and what you're on doing your, the whole rest of the day and i think that's really valuable and really powerful it I is think. you know I, I bet that would be shocking too is like how many people do journal i think like a lot of dudes get creeped out like when you call it a diary i think it's, yeah. is it is it manlier to call it a journal i don't care what you call it you should be writing things down every day well, the whole thing is like nobody ever has to see it it's just for right. you like, no one has even has to know you're doing it so like, who cares if they think it's like you know like not masculine or like, no one cares it's just yeah. doing it for you like, that's do whatever it. you want to do i've noticed <laughs> this too because i like some some days i'll journal in the morning and yeah. sometimes i'll journal when the day is done yeah and uh it's a totally different thing sure yeah because you're processing at the end of the day and you're like I think I think in the morning you get stuff out of your system, kind of. I do. Like, I do I, believe if I'm that. like mad at somebody or annoyed by somebody, if I write down in the morning, then, it, then it's, and I'm it's, it's done. I'm, I'm done with it, mm-hmm. and so I don't think about it. We're saying so I have more positive energy the rest of the yeah. day. Yeah, it's almost if you wait till that evening to write, it's it's a boiling over point. Yeah, it's, it's still sitting in your body the whole day. You're yeah. not getting out of your system at all, or, or or you get it out by being like mean to somebody, or you get it out in like a, in like a caddy way or something like that. Very that's, negative that, that's way. Not, that's not good either. You and know? that goes back to that peg laying effect really yeah totally uh, but you've mentioned it once again let's go to like oh, yeah. the uh the future of the studio who have yeah. you got coming what's exciting what what yeah what are you, so i mean what are you so the whole goal with the i mean we're sort of like tapping our fingers waiting for the i mean i think everybody is waiting for the end of the pandemic but we have a lot of big plans for the studio um we there's a gallery space right now there's a show from sarah dittman who's an mfa student at uh, ua in Tuscaloosa. And in May, we're also having, or April, we're having another show from MFA students. And in, in, uh, in May, there's going to be another big group show from people of all over the country apply, that have applied for this big group show. Um, sort of, it's people are kind of envisioning what their, uh, what their 
like post-pandemic world looks like. They're making artwork based off of that. So oh, it can man, be like, that's cool. It can be good, it can be bad, it can be whatever they think that it's going to be after the pandemic is over, you know. And um, so there's going to be a lot of different work in the in the in the in the sh- in the studio and in the whole. And every month will be a different show. And the first Saturday will be the opening every every month. Um, but the goal is also for every artist who comes in, they'll also will lead a, a couple workshops for the community too. So, and through like a painter or a collage or a ceramicist, they'll also teach several workshops in that medium too in the studio space. So, they'll do one that's like free for people in Greensboro. Like a like a low like a low cost workshop for people who live here, and then one that's going to be charged for people who come in from out, from out of state to come and take workshops too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be it will both provide um, people in the community with skills and new like ideas and new skills, but also bringing people from outside of the city to come in and spend their money here too, and kind of have a jolt for the economy here too. We're also planning on doing some music performances. We talked with Jamie and about being like, like a, a latch on to Sunstroke House stuff like that. Because um, there's there's space for a music performance in there too, um, we're, so we're thinking. I would about love to like, hear what music sounds like in there. Well, yeah, you know, with just how high the ceiling know, is, and yeah. there's a lot the of acoustics wood. are really beautiful in that space. I bet they are. So we're hoping, yeah. I mean, again, like we said before, we're just hoping that maybe like late summer, early fall, something's going to happen. Hopefully, we'll be able to do more people in the space there. Because like we said before, like the, like if you have an event in Greensboro, people come to it. You know. Yeah. Like people, we had like last weekend seventy-ish people came out for this opening. You so. know, just just since I got involved with uh, the studio and like following the work that y'all are doing, yeah, I have noticed that there's a huge following. Like with cities such as Selma and sure, Selma's in, Selma's doing incredible stuff right now. Yeah, it's, it's been uh, after I done Tim's interview of. Her name's escaping me right now, but she added me. Troy and Catherine, A.C. Reeves, probably. That's it. Yeah, she, she is. And it's she incredible just, to see some of the things that are happening. And because Selma, Selma is, is just, it's, it's bigger than Greensboro, obviously. Um, and they have, like, a, an incredible, like, painful, powerful history in Selma. Civil rights and all yeah. kinds of things there. That's right. But, but, they, but they're constantly, they're dealing with it. They're aware of it. They don't hide it, you know? Like, they don't hide things that have happened in the past that are, like, painful and bad. They they don't embrace them, but they deal with them and they build on them and they move forward from them, which is, I think, what, what the best cities in the South deal with the past and they, they have to and they build off of that and they move forward from that. You they know, don't hide it. They deal with that. And I think that Selma does that really beautifully. I think so. With everything that I've seen and, you know, if you want to think about the protests of 2020 with all the, the racial inequality, I was uh, really impressed uh not all, because I went to some of the uh, demonstrations, and I was uh, I was very disappointed with some people's behavior. But uh, on a national scale, I was fairly impressed uh, with the way the South really dealt with it. Yeah, like a lot of skeletons came out of the closet, and a lot sure. of people got exposed, and we started really dealing with it correctly. Yeah, I mean, in a small town, you don't really have any other choice. Like you can't you can't really hide it. It's just there. Yeah. So you have to either you just have to deal with it. And you have to build on it. You have to Acknowledge it, and people make work based off of it. They make visual art, music based off of it. Some, there, of, the, some of the art I've seen in in your studio yeah. is reflecting on that, man. Sure, I mean, I mean, like, there's, um, yeah, Leanna Leslie had a had a piece in the in the quilt piece in the show that was like a kind of a tear quilt, and the bottom tier of the quilt was sort of the like like riots in Birmingham, and it kind of like built up to the very top was like the downtown like lyric theater being so it kind of, it kind of like she works with like the the process of, of coming to terms with that stuff in Birmingham so I mean I think that um I mean that is obviously like the the sort of like pickle of the south is that there is this like the, there is this past that that 
people obviously don't want to relive and they want, they want to not have to happen again, but you have to acknowledge it. You have to deal with it. You have to build off of it. And you I have think to we work are. through it. Yeah, yeah. I think people were, and I think even more than in, 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 I think that there's an idea that in people in more Northern states are like better at dealing with that than, than we are. But we I've heard worse racial slurs come from there. Sure. I mean, we, we're, we're, there's so much more awareness of it in the South because that's what you deal with. That's what you live. You've lived through or you've, you've dealt with it or you've heard about it. And so I think that um, some of the most amazing work being like being made a, a, about inequality and about um, that sort of process is being made in, in, in the South, be it rap music or even like rock music or American. There's amazing work being made, even quilts and like paintings being made about that kind of work mm-hmm. um, that's been done in the South because we have no other choice but to deal with it. You know, that's, that's right. That's our life here. Yeah. You know, I'm really, really excited about all the uh, the art, and I mean, you've alluded to, and I don't know if you were finished with like the future of what's going to happen with the studio, but uh, I, I really like that idea of like, what is your post pandemic going to look like? Yeah, I, I mean, love that it, idea. It's, it's interesting. That, I mean, I haven't seen all that. All the people are still applying for it, and so. Um, I mean, people have different perspectives. Some people want to go back to normal. Some people don't want to. Some people, it wasn't working for them normally. You know, they, they want a new normal. That's right. Which I, also, uh, I, I think totally we're going to have a mix of both, that. to be honest. Yeah, which, I, which I'm totally in support of. Because, like, the normal wasn't working for a lot of people. Sure. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't, like, fair or equal for a lot of people. And so I think the, the best route going forward is to, is to take all these things we learned from, like, being home and being insular and being, like, in our communities and, like, taking those those ideas and, and going back into the bigger world with them we're able to and like making a, a, a much better world going forward yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that uh, yeah totally and I think we're uh, conversations I've been having this is literally one of them is uh, I don't I don't think there is no going back to what we used to have I mean I think people I think it's forever yeah. it's forever changed yeah and yeah. I think it's uh, we should take it in stride sure and of uh, is is the new normal it's going to have problems yeah but we should actively uh work through those problems and i'm not saying that we can build a utopia but i think we can we can get a fair player i think we can get closer to what we people imagined like the american experiment of being i think i think yeah. that things have been exposed people are more like more in more in line i think than they were before things happened yeah because uh, my thing is like the the beautiful thing about this country and uh here's the big chance is uh you know we saw a little bit of it with the collapse in 2008 with the uh uh with the realtor market and of everything that happened with that is of the American dream. Uh, there was a lot of businesses that got lost during that. And I, there's a lot of horrible, heartbreaking stories from that time. We pulled through that. Uh, now with this, with this pandemic, is man, we, we've got a we've got a real shot. We yeah. got a real shot here. And I also think I think I think that like historically, the South has always been like kind of like a hotbed of innovation. That's right. I think, I think that people, I mean we got the space station in Huntsville, and, and, and you I know? think and I think for a lot of people, like the South has been kind of mined for its resources, like. Things have been like seen in the South and taken out and moved to bigger cities. Like people, like really bright minds, have been like spotted in the South and then taken out and moved to New York or moved to California. Mm-hmm. And I think that more now, um, people are realizing like, wait, we should like have our eyes on the South. And they're doing things there. They're making amazing art, making amazing cultural movements, making amazing like protests. Amazing things are happening in the South that like we got to pay attention to. That's right. And it's gonna. And I think it, I think it should be a model for how 
other communities respond to the post-pandemic world. Is mm-hmm. that what we're doing here? And like focusing inward, focusing on our communities and focusing on, on, our, on ourselves and, and our neighbors more than I think people in other places might do. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I was recently turned on to this uh, app. It's called Handy. And uh, I, I shared it with Jack immediately because I know like he's always looking for like side jobs and things oh, to do. Yeah. Is and I don't know. I told him I was like this. I think it works better in big cities because there's a lot more jobs. But you can literally uh, get on Handy, and this uh, this is just something to say about the community. I'm sure it's being done nationwide. I obviously haven't asked enough people, but let's just say that somebody didn't want to put together their office chairs they just bought. Oh yeah. They would put that on Handy, and like yeah. you could literally make fifty bucks just putting office chairs together, however much it paid. Or if someone didn't want to cut their grass, or if someone needed uh, carpentry work done it's like if you have the skills dude you, you can get on this app it's just like craigslist it, it, right? it enables you to be self-employed too that's you right you on your own terms and i'm all about life liberty and pursuit of happiness and, i believe that is the absolute and there are so many pinnacle there's so it, many you know? amazing skilled craftspeople in the south especially too who are like can do amazing woodwork amazing construction amazing like like lattice work, everything, and there's like waiting to be asked, you know. And I think yeah. those those things help people. I think have that like avenue towards financial freedom, kind of too. Yeah, I, I love that kind of movement for things like that. Absolutely. Well, man, I want to ask one more question, and uh, we'll walk it on out the door. I know that uh, you are a uh, a music fan, so I just wanted to ask you just uh, what has been some of your favorite uh, albums, just recently or just like something you've really uh, hung on to over the pandemic or how, however you want to take the take this yeah well i mean i listen to i mean i think it's it sounds trite but i listen to a lot of different stuff all the time yeah and um i think my, my favorite album of last year we were talking about earlier was really that waxahachie record it's called saint cloud was just like it really it's about her um sort of growing up and kind of it's like her i think her fourth or fifth album and it's about her growing up and i kind of felt a lot of um like I felt really co- like connected to the album about sort of like coming into yourself and like being a little bit more um, like slow and a little bit more like existing and being more mindful about where you are instead of being always focused on the future and focusing on what you're working on. You can focus on like what, here and now. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me a lot. Um, I mean, I always go back to like the, the, the classics of, I mean, I was raised on like John Prine, Guy Clark and Amy Lou and all stuff like that. So those are always like in the background all the time. Mm-hmm. And I loved all those records and I find a lot of, like when John Prine died, it was like we cried and we like, you know, we had like a little like like a wake for him in our house. It, it was just, That was the second time I cried over a musician dying. Yeah. The first one was Chris Cornell. Uh, yeah, that's a good one to cry on. Yeah. I uh, mean, I, and I was upset, you know, like one of the last live shows he'd done was in Tuscaloosa. And like I hear a lot of mixed reviews because, I mean, I know a lot of people that was in that crowd. And some people say the show was just magic and a lot of other people would say he was... That dude was trash. He was, yeah. he was in like, I mean, his wife came out and said it later that, you know, he was uh, struggling with uh, the medication that he was, was painkillers, yeah. I think. And uh, he had lost track and took too many and that led to the demise. But, yeah. Uh, man, I was, I was such a huge fan of uh, his personal work and Soundgarden, Audio Slave and mm-hmm. Temple of the Dog. And, uh, you know, you talk about, we, we grew up in that era of the grunge and, yeah. Uh, he was uh, such a unique voice. Prince was tough. Yeah, definitely. Uh, John Prine was certainly tough. Yeah, I, I was. Hey, I mean, the, he's a songwriter, songwriter. You I, know? I was doing a residency in Joshua Tree, California, in the, in the middle of the desert. 
um, when Prince died. And I didn't have cell phone service. I didn't have any kind of service. It was it, so you didn't know. Yeah. Well, so I, was, I, I went into town and I, and the, I turned the radio on. There it was like a Prince show. I was like, well, "What's so weird there? I guess they're focusing on Prince a lot. It's so weird." Mm-hmm. And then like I heard them the next the next like commercial break that he died. And I was just like shocked that he had that he had died. It was it was just like so yeah. shocking. It was crazy. And I will say it's, it's controversial and people people don't like it a lot. But the last two and, and I'll explain why I like them. But the last two. Uh, Taylor Swift albums were interesting to me because it, oh I'm a huge fan of the one before the last yeah because I feel like it really showed that people you talking about the pop album yeah, or not the folk one yeah the folk yeah the like folklore and then Evermore oh yeah I love that well, I think it, I think it really showed that people are realizing that people are really into more sort of like mindful inward turn like like music like that and I think it, and it was a huge hit. And I think it showed like sort of like a title turn for a lot of bigger artists too. Like we can do like more indie kind of focus, more sort of like stripped down things, and we can be really successful and we can make really good music that way too. You, you can say whatever you like about Taylor Swift. Uh, I'm, I'm, shit. I, I consider myself to be a fan. To be honest, it's yeah, she's like a great that, writer. she's an incredible writer. That that pop album she done with like songs like Style. That was probably my favorite oh, song yeah, off that yeah, album, yeah. dude. And uh, this past weekend in Birmingham. We went out to this new place in uh, Fultondale. It's called Mad Pies. And uh, Lori Rain was playing, and she covered that song that night. And right when I heard it, I was like, oh, I like this song. When you pair those songs down to the, just their core elements, they're, like, really good songs. Yeah, and they didn't play it the way, you know. It wasn't a pop song with them. I mean, it was kind of more, like, Americana. It was, like, country yeah. rock. You yeah, know? totally. And her whole thing now is, you know, like, her... Um, all of her masters were bought by someone that she doesn't like anymore. So she's re-recording all of her albums again. And she's recording them like basically the same way they were recorded initially, just to kind of make the other ones obsolete sort of. And I yeah. think it's so fascinating to kind of have that like reclaim that ownership of your music. And I think that that's something that people can really learn from a lot and, and bigger pop musicians can learn from a lot from that kind of model. Yeah. I can, um, I don't have any beef with her. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think those were they were great pandemic albums to listen to when you were stuck at home too. They're great sort of like, and they call it cottage core, what they're calling it. But it's great sort I of like so, yeah. cabin folk music to listen to when you're stuck at home alone. But yeah. that and then also the other album I thought was that band Hayam. Um, their album, last album was called, is it, is it the cheeky, cheeky name of Women in Music Part Three. It was a third <laughs> album. It's up, it's up for record of the year and tomorrow at the Grammys. Um, and it's oh, a really, nice. it's Dude, a really I'm going like, to uh, Jimmy Duck Holmes Grammy party. You know, oh, he was, nice. he, was yeah. he was nominated for uh, traditional blues. Oh, cool. Hopefully and, uh, he wins. <laughs> he's a he's a winner in my mind. Yeah. Even if he does, I mean, I think know. that the I mean the Grammys have always had like a you know a uh, inclusiveness issue, you know, of like not of being sort of just like a bunch of like yeah, CBS just run a story on Jimmy Duck and like I love the headline they ran. It was like unlikely small town Mississippian is yeah. is up for a Grammy, and I was like, this right here is literally everything. And I, I was like, you couldn't have said it much better than yeah. that because, okay, Mississippi gonna breeze right over it. Sure, you know, yeah. And I think, like, Mississippi, I mean, everyone knows Mississippi music because the blues, obviously. But I think that more and more and more, like, you know, obviously you're a big Cornelius Chapel fan. But like you said about culture, what has been exported from Mississippi? I mean, th- you think Led Zeppelin, you think the Stones, sure. you think all these big names in rock and roll. Where did they get their influence? Mm-hmm. Mm, Mississippi blues, Yeah, I mean, blues, if you listen right? to, like, the Lomax recordings, you know, all those film recordings, there's so many things taken from, like, like black music and like it's been like blues music that are just like have been like taken from and there's like integral to the architecture of american music that are just like i think finally coming back and being acknowledged in a, in a really big way that's right and so i'm hoping it'll just 
it's only up and up. Hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow night. I guess. What do you think about? Uh, you ever spend any time with Radical Face? I haven't. No. I, I think you would like that. that. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll share a song when we wrap up here. He done a song uh, or a whole album uh, that he recorded out of the childhood home that he recorded in. Oh, and cool. so in some of the background, you can hear like the wind chimes and just oh, the different nice. sounds. I of love the home. those like those like field recording stuff and, like that. Yeah, yeah, dude. And like he's got like three, maybe four albums, and cool. of. I have to put it on shuffle when I'm driving. I can't. If I'm driving, I can't just listen to Radical Face straight through. Sure. Yeah. But, like, if I'm at home, it is perfect for, like, yeah. a, a shuffle. Yeah. Like, uh, my favorite Radical Face uh, song is called Welcome Home. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot to be, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had with that. I've also gotten really into um, the, there's one record by Linda McCartney, Paul McCartney's wife, her, his first wife. She only uh-huh. had one album ever. And she was in his touring band with Wings and all that stuff like that. And she's one album called Wide Prairie, and it's just like a, it's, it's I mean it's, it's 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 super old now, but it's just like it is an insane album, and it's incredible. Like her backing band is just like Paul McCartney's band. It's amazing, yeah. and she has this really like kind of like throaty, like kind of like guttural voice sometimes, and it's just like it's it's really amazing. So I've been listening to a lot of that too. So it's always there's always the. Um, a mix of stuff in the house all the time of oh, different yeah. things from like as it should be yeah there's Ricky Lee Jones all the time sometimes there's like Nina Simone there's I, I love Cat Power and like there's always different things all the time kind of kind of fusing all together and rap sometimes I was in the MIA the other day I was listening to her a oh, lot yeah. too yeah, there, 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 yeah there's yeah. no limit on the genre kind of happening in the Higgins Head household all the time there you <laughs> go yeah well cool man uh, anything else to add or subtract um, I don't think I don't want to subtract anything. I don't think, <laughs> but well, great, I appreciate man. you having me on here. It's been so nice to talk to you. Yeah, man. And like I say, we are uh, we're, we we'll get Sarah on here, and then yeah. Well, I, I guess, I guess if you, if you go on my, my website is yeah, yeah, let's Aaron, plug you can see all the upcoming shows and workshops stuff like that. And my Instagram is just Aaron Sanders Head, just spelled like you think it's spelled. Nothing too crazy. Um, yeah, you can, you can kind of keep up to date with all the things that we're doing here in Greensboro, and you can come visit us. We're open on Saturdays, 11 to 4. Um, if, you, if you come on another day and you want to come, just send me an email or a message, and I'll, I'll happy to open up for you on, on other days, too, and show you the space and show you a little glimpse of Greensboro, give you an itinerary of things to see in town, too. Yeah, and uh, I highly recommend it. Just the homes, and uh, Greensboro is a pretty fascinating place. Yeah. And uh, we'll get Sarah on, and then yeah. I've told uh, Ian, I think, Tim, too, is then I want to have a, a Greensboro party episode <laughs> to where we just get a hee-haw, right? We are we are a party town, so we'll, 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 we'll have to keep a, a little under control. For, we, all, we all tend to talk over each other a little bit, so we'll have to, we'll have, to have several mics going, I think, to get us all recorded. But yeah, we can we can do a party episode. We, we like partying. We can do a party episode for sure. Sounds good, man. <laughs> well, cool, man. We're out of here. Thanks Thank so you. much. This is Tim Higgins, and I'm here to remind you that every day is not a party. Wake up in the morning Hell if down all these lights Fix myself some breakfast Make plans for the Myself a drink, fill it up to the rim. Is it?
only Tuesday I should join a gym Every day is not a I think I'll take a half day It's not worth it just to get paid Drive up on a mountain Spin out every turn Buy myself some fire Ha, 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 ha. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Prime Video's Culture Rated Collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.